with college costs and with student loan debt being such important topics in today's economic environments, I thought it would be great to have Cozy Whitman on the show today to talk about how to navigate the financial aid and scholarship environment for your high schooler that may be going to college in the next uh, couple years. Uh, speaking of financial issues, if there's anything that keeps you up at night regarding your finances, email me, David, at parallelfinancial.com. That's David at parallelfinancial.com. And I'm always happy to do a 30-minute consultation, whether that be in person or by Zoom, and we can figure out uh, what the next steps may be for your financial success. We hope you enjoy this episode. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chudik, where we discuss the wealth-building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast. Uh, we are a podcast uh, where we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies to help you to build and maintain wealth. My name is David Chuddick, and I'm a certified financial planner with Parallel Financial. And today we're talking college. Uh, which is a big money topic, both for parents and future earnings of students. We're talking scholarships. We may throw a little bit of COVID information in there and how that's affected education and really just uh, learning from an expert on how to take care of college expenses. So today we have Cozy Whitman with us. And um, hey, Cozy, how are you? I'm awesome, David. Thank you for having me. Well, let's hear a little bit about yourself. How does how does somebody get into the college planning and scholarship uh, industry? Because nobody goes to college for that, I don't think. Yeah, for sure. I always tell people if uh, if you are sweating what your degree is going to be, if you're a high school senior, go out and take a look at my LinkedIn page, right? Because I have been all over the place. Um, so uh, just in terms of background, actually, the thing that qualified me most for the role that I currently sit in, which is education and partnerships manager at College Inside Track, uh, I have five kids of my own, and we have done every college search possible from a D1 volleyball search to a search that started mom, musical theater, or pre-med, which one? Um, and so um, I actually hired College Inside Track. I was grateful that I did at the end of the day because one of the things that I learned um, through the process was there is a lot going on behind the curtain that the average person cannot see. Um, I always think about college like um, the Wizard of Oz, right? Big benevolent face out here, curtain, and then behind the curtain, all kinds of levers being pulled to make things happen. Um, and the more I learned about it, the more frustrated I got. Um, and so, you know, fast forward to my youngest, um, graduating from high school and going off to college. I happened to be laid off. Um, college Inside Track did amazing work for my family. I actually pitched myself in and said, here's what I do well. Um, how can I um, get your message out? Because there's just so much that families need to know about uh, what's happening in the college landscape that isn't just readily transparent to them. Well, and when you look at college, in some families, it's almost an expectation. In other families, it's, it's just a dream that can never happen. It's just kind of so far out there, but it's expensive. And it, 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 it should be looked at as an investment for those for whom it's appropriate. But uh, if there are people that like you that can help with scholarships and financial aid and aid and everything, that's great. But also, and we're going to talk on this a little later, 
maybe everybody doesn't need a four-year degree. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, do you learn a lot of life skills with your four-year degree? We can, we can touch on that. So our, our main topic really today is scholarships. And, and to be totally honest, like, I don't even know if, do I, if I know what a scholarship is. So like, let's talk about like, what is a scholarship and, and who offers scholarships? Yeah, it's a, um, this is probably the area of biggest misperception on the part of families. So um, scholarships uh, and grants, frankly, are gifts that are given to the student. And there are a lot of sources for those. And um, the miss for most families is that they are looking in the wrong places. So um, I bumped into a family a couple of weeks ago. We sat down, we were chatting college. And one of the things they told me was they sit their student down every Sunday afternoon for two hours. They've got scholarship Sunday and uh, put him in front of the internet and said, go find your scholarships. And that is actually the least likely place to find good money. So um, when you think about scholarships, these should be something that are actually reducing the cost of college. Um, And the biggest providers of grant scholarships are actually the colleges themselves. So understanding or coming to an understanding of how colleges gift is an important part to really um, understanding the college landscape. And sadly, we've created a little bit of a perception and the colleges love this, that there are 75 or 100 great schools in the country and the rest of them, and there are over 3000 universities in the US today um, are crap right? So there are great schools and then nothing, right? And um, the reality is that's simply not true. There are right fit schools for a student and there are poor fit schools for a student. Um, But the thing that people need to understand at the end of the day is that colleges are businesses. And when they gift money to a student, there is a business reason behind it. As families, we like to think about um, how awesome our kids are. And of course, colleges are going to give them money because they're so awesome. Um, And that's actually not how the landscape works. So you have to put your business hat on to really understand where the top money comes from. And the top money comes from schools who have um, potentially less well-known brands to the average consumer. Okay. So I always use kind of an example because I'm in, I'm right outside of Clemson, South Carolina. And I think mistake number one that many students make is I want to go to XYZ school because of their football team or because of their basketball team, which does not in any way, shape or form mean that that school has the right academic program for the student. So number one, don't pick your school based on the football team. It's fun to go to football games, but that's not a, not a great reason. But um there's a lot of other smaller little schools around here. And, you know, does a Clemson degree really mean more than, than one of the smaller schools that, that employers may not have heard of my doctor, no idea where he went to medical school, but I trust him because he's been, he's, he's demonstrated competence. Uh, he's trustworthy. I assume the, the diploma on his wall, he didn't print out himself, but I, I've never read it. I don't know where he went and if it's one of the best med schools or not. But what I do think is that most doctors learn more about medicine after school, right? Uh, with, with continuing edu- education and um, real life experience to where, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a Harvard medical school degree to, to be a good doctor. Right. Yeah. And I, um, I, I, that's 100% true. There are two notable studies 
um, that looked at um, where kids went to school and then where were those students at 10 years later. And what you find is that the kids that go, and there's some small and distinct differences, but um, the, uh, the kids that went to the big brand school are in the exact same place 10 years later, not only from positions, um, but also from an income perspective. Because guess what? Guess who controls income? The folks you work for, <laughs> not, mm -hmm. not the college itself. Um, so there are some notable distinctions. Um, students of color, for instance, seem to have a little bit of a bump when they come out of brand name schools. Um, at least that's what these two studies found. Um, but for the vast, 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 vast majority of students, it matters not at all the name on the school. Now, that having been said, we all know that there are people that are, um, and cars are a good uh, comparison. Um, so everybody knows there are people who will buy a Porsche um, because they want a Porsche, right? Mm -hmm. And they've saved for the Porsche and they wanna pay for the Porsche. And um, the Porsche has four wheels and an engine and it'll get you the exact same place at the exact same speeds, by the way, because that's controlled by somebody else um, as a Toyota Corolla. But the people that want the Porsche want the Porsche. They don't want a Toyota Corolla. What I want families to understand is that you don't need to buy in to the Porsche mindset because you think somehow you're depriving your student of a great education, right? So there are well over, I don't know, the number varies between 3,000 and 3,200 schools. Um, a ton of those schools will be a great fit. And that's what people should really be keying in on. I think you're 100% correct, David. Um, and we think about this from three distinct areas and I would encourage families to start to sit down with students as early as sophomore year to have a conversation around goals and then evolve the goals as uh -huh. you continue, right? So the three distinct goal areas would be the right academic fit for the students. So degrees offered, elbow room to go through a couple majors because we all know everybody's gonna. Um, how the school teaches. Schools are not a monolith. College is not a monolith. So there are different um, styles of learning and schools teach differently. Um, and then the right rigor level for the student. Um, the right social fit, that would be like size and that football game you were talking about it. And some of the things about the school that will just make it a more comfortable place for the student to hang out. And then that third piece is really the right financial fit for the family. And where people make mistakes is they think, okay, I'm going to take us back to the car scenario again. I'm going to buy a car for my student. And in your brain, you're thinking, um, you know, two th 2008 Honda Civic, um, but you go and have your student test drive the Lamborghini. Well, guess what happens? They don't yeah. want your 2008 Honda Civic anymore, right? So mm -hmm. um, really having a good conversation around where is money going to come from for a college education? How are we going to pay for this all four years is a really key component. And you need to have the discussion with the kid, right? With the student who's going to be the person going off to school. Yeah, I totally agree. If you had to put a really broad kind of general cost per four years of a state school, you know, what is that number? Just, you know, if you average it. Yeah, so um, families who, um, the national average today for families who send their students to state schools um, is right around 26,000, somewhere yeah, in there. Yeah, so that's $100,000 over four years. That's that's a chunk of money. I don't care who you are. That's a lot of money. And um, 
I forget who it was, but I remember there was some billionaire in California. And I think they were paying very smart high school kids $100,000 to not go to college and to start a business. And, you know, in some cases that, that, you know, entrepreneurialism uh, spirit may, um, may work as well. So we've talked about scholarships, like specifically, where do you look or where do you and your children look for scholarships? Yeah, this is probably um, the hardest thing for families to start to parse out. Um, there are two buckets of money from the colleges that are available. Some schools have both buckets. Some schools only have one bucket. Um, and so the two buckets are need-based money and the other bucket is merit-based money. Sometimes mistakenly, people call merit money academic grants or scholarships. So on the need side of the house, um, almost all schools in the US have a need bucket. And um, need is defined um, by the colleges as sticker price of their college, then they subtract the outcome of the FAFSA, which is called the expected family contribution. And if there is gap after that simple math formula, you have need. And then the college has a philosophy around what percent need they meet. So if a school covers 50%, they'll take 50% of that gap, they'll bring it to the student in the Ambie Smith grant. Um, now, when it shows up on the student's financial award letter, however, it doesn't say the Ambi Smith need-based grant. It just says the Ambi Smith grant. Okay. And people come to their own presumptions about what that money was for. So, so but why do colleges, there's a university near us that um, I think it's $50,000 a year, but they tell you, but nobody pays $50,000. Yeah. Why do they do that? That just seems like, why don't we just make the real price the real price? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a good um, question. The challenge uh, for the schools, I think, uh, is perception, right? So um, if, we, if we bring our sticker price down to 35,000, we now have the same perception as the state school. Gotcha. Um, and so they bring themselves up into this like, oh, we're way up here. But for special students, we're going to come in down here, right? Okay. And the bulk of that money for most kids is actually on the merit side of the house. So people get their energy all bundled up. Um, I'm sure you've taken these calls um, where they're trying to move assets around. And how do we make ourselves need-based? And the reality is family income, the household income is the single largest factor on the FAFSA. Um, and so unless you plan to quit your job for the purposes of college and become a pauper, um, the, the goal is not to make yourself need-based. The goal would be to change your strategy and focus on schools that align better with who your student is, right? In those three goal areas we talked about so that you can find colleges that are interested in your student because your student is gonna help think, them with things they care about. And one of the interesting challenges that people bump into is, uh, and I was this mom, I told my kids go anywhere you want as long as it's in the state of Minnesota and a state school, right? Because mm -hmm. I live in Minnesota. Um, and the reality was I was cutting us off from some of the best merit giving schools in the country. And so um, I had the exact same budget for uh, my bottom three, the top two were unusual to your point. One of my kids did not go to college uh, and one played D1 volleyball. So for the bottom three, I had the exact same budget, exact same budget. One went to a state school in state, one went to an out of state school 
and one went to a private college. And the least expensive college on that list was the private school. Wow, would never think. So instinctively, I would think when you're talking about merit-based, it's all about grades. Highest GPA gets more money. Is that true? So in the public institutions, they do tend to drive their merit programs based off the numbers, not only GPA, but ACT. Um, and that is true, by the way, even in our current COVID test optional landscape. So a whole bunch of schools around the country went test optional last year when it was clear that kids couldn't get tests. Um, so uh, when they say they're test optional, that means that they are not using the test for purposes of acceptance, but behind the scenes, still tying that number to grant scholarship dollars. In the private space, those schools care about a whole bunch of things, right? And they are cherry picking the students that help them with the things they care about most. So GPA and ACT do play a part or SAT, play a part in this, no question, but they are also interested in having a diverse population on their campus. They want one kid from every state in the country and a million um, countries around the world. And so interestingly, my philosophy is, uh, as a mom, right, when I started this state in the state, was automatically, for at least the private schools, making us a less recipient of grant scholarship dollars. And so being willing to look outside your region brings more money to the table. They literally look at kids' transcripts, add up the A's and multiply by a factor. They look at the rigorous classes, AP, IB, PSEO, college in the schools, add those up, multiply by a factor. Today, a really well-written college essay that speaks to the value of the student um, can be worth eight, nine, 10,000 additional grant scholarship dollars in the private wow. landscape. So um, the private schools are more complex. It's less easy to discern, which is why families shy away from them. Um, but often what you will find is that those schools will bring themselves into roughly the same pricing as the local public institutions that they have to compete with. Where families have to be careful is the bigger the brand, the less money available. Um, and why? Because you know what? MIT does not need more applicants. Mm -hmm. We get ample applicants every single year. Every kid If they don't get your kid, they're still getting some other genius, right? Right. And if you don't want to pay our full freight, I got 17,000 other kids that are sitting right here who will, right? So- <laughs> Families have to be careful because there are many schools around the country that offer zero merit aid. Wow. Okay. That's something to, uh, to definitely keep in mind. What about like private corporate scholarships and, and such? How do, how do those work? And, and what are the best ways to kind of get your hands on some of that money if it's available? So um, we recommend actually that people super focus on um, the colleges themselves. Colleges give away tens of thousands of dollars every year um, in their own universities um, across the country, hundreds of thousands of dollars. That is the number one place to find the largest amount of money. Um, the next tier down would be um, local scholarships. So maybe a parent employer, um, the local bank or credit union. Um, Are those normally a couple hundred dollars or a couple thousand yeah. dollars, but they're not paying your full tuition. Correct. And that's why when we think about this in tiering, we think about the colleges on the top tier, pro, um, the local scholarships in the middle and the very bottom, if you think about it like an upside down pyramid, the very bottom tip of the triangle would be private scholarships where you're out on the internet looking for these. 
the average student has to apply to somewhere between 50, 50, and 80 of these to win anything. And the average award amount in that space is about 500 bucks. Most people would be better off just having their kid go get a job. Now, do you have any feeling? I know Clemson University is the big school near us, and, and probably most schools have some sort of a bridge program where you can go in Clemson, you can go to local technical college for two years if you and you get your English 101s and all that, and, and it costs less. It's think it's still rather expensive, but it costs less. But then you transfer into your major in, in a, a junior and senior year. What's your feeling on, on those types of bridge programs? Yeah, I think um, people just need to be very clear on the details of those. Uh, there is a presumption that if you start at community college and then transfer over, um, that that will be less expensive. But without the bridge program, Often you will find yourselves um, spending more on college uh, because colleges care about their four-year graduation rates. And when you become a transfer student, you no longer can be counted in their four-year graduation rates. So as people are thinking about their college search in sophomore and junior years, I always want them to run a full search, right? Every path, take all the paths that you want to take. You might have some bridge programs in there. You might have community college and transfer in there. And then um, looking at schools that are stronger, need and merit givers um, in that third lane and bring a list together that makes sense for the student academically, socially, and financially to be able to say in the spring of senior year, here are now all the real numbers and then make a good choice for your student. The challenge I find is that people put themselves in one lane and they don't look at the other two lanes and you end up then with just the cost that that lane offers you. So those bridge programs are awesome, but I would wanna know as a parent, how those actually compare to me just starting and finishing at another school that's a better merit giver maybe than Clemson is to use your example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I remember a, a few years ago after Clemson won their first national championship, I forget what the number was, but like 40% more applications came in the next year. And the school is a very good school, but it didn't get better overnight because of the football team. It, it still right. was a good school. But, uh, you know, the sexiness factor after a, a football team or a basketball team does really well, you know, it just uh, it is what it is for sure. The, the technical colleges and the community colleges, those two-year degrees, are, are the same types of uh, need and merit-based uh, 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 aid given in those types of situations? If, let's say, you wanted to get a certificate in HVAC and, and honestly probably start off making $60,000, $80,000 a year, you know, are, are the same types of aid available? Uh, classically not because the programs are not very expensive. Uh, so for instance, um, I mentioned one of my students didn't go to school. He went through welding school at the local. Yeah, so he's making school. probably more money than any of your kids, right? Or uh, no, but, <laughs> <laughs> but he is making really good cash, right? Mm -hmm. And he's very happy. And at the end of the day, as a parent, that's what I need. I need him not living in my basement and happy with his life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, but, um, 
those programs, his program, for instance, I think was $8,000. Now he's 30. So it's been a while since he went through it. But um, those programs are classically not very expensive. Uh, and so there isn't usually uh, extra money available, but that is not true at all programs. So some community colleges are actually relatively significant in size and so do have some opportunities for scholarship dollars. So the family sh should just explore that and see what that looks like. The one thing I will mention though, that does distinguish um, four-year schools from uh, two-year or technical uh, certifications is that the federal student loan program um, until recently actually could not apply to those schools, but um, they made a change in the last few years that says that they can. Mm -hmm. The program just has to be a certified program. So before jumping in with both feet, I would just encourage people to understand or get information from the school itself as to whether or not you could take advantage of that federal loan program. Okay. So the tagline of this podcast is the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategy. So let's talk about mindsets. Should a parent, and I think a lot of parents would be tempted to say, ooh, my kid is only going to get a welding certification, not getting a four-year degree. And, they're, and then, of course, when they graduate and they're welding and making good money, but there's this stigma that everybody needs a four-year degree or else it's some level of failure or disappointment, or I'm not sure what the word is. What are your feelings about four-year degrees as they apply to everybody? I mean, is it, is it a given that everybody should need a four-year degree? Yeah, uh, I always approach that from the perspective of who on earth would have remodeled my kitchen or fixed my car or put a roof on my house or um, put my fence up, right? Um, my husband's in big construction, they build bridges. Who would be building your bridges then, right? So um, I think um, the pendulum swung way far to the everybody needs a four-year degree um, direction. And I think we're starting to settle back in. So you see high schools starting to build back in stronger shop programs, um, uh, programs around um, metal work and welding, um, all kinds of building and carpentry. Uh -huh. And I think what families really need to think through is, what are the strengths of the student, right? And, and how will they be best served by an education? So um, the question, you know, when we work with students, um, the question that we always arm the student with is to look at the program, whether it's a two-year college, a technical program, or a four-year school, how are you college going to help me student be successful on your campus? And so as you're starting to answer that question, I think it's important to really think all the way through um, those skill sets of the students and then who can best support those. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's a four-year degree, but sometimes it's not. And mm -hmm. so I, I think we do our kids a disservice by layering over the top of this that every kid needs a four-year degree. That having been said, um, and um, the technology industry is a really good example. Um, in IT, there are a ton of certifications that you can just pick up. And you could argue that if you are um, the strongest Microsoft admin on the planet, there is no reason for you to have a four-year degree if the certifications make you good at your job. What does need to happen for that, though, to be the platform is that corporations need to get on board. A lot of companies still require um, a four-year degree for every single person over a certain level, right? And it doesn't recognize the skill sets that people bring to the table. 
And it's been a couple of decades since I graduated. Are colleges teaching more life skills at this point, or is it still kind of the academic? Because let's say you're in sales and let's say, you know, you're in, in, in medical sales. So maybe a medical type degree background would be great for the knowledge, but let's say you just don't have the sales skills or the personality to be persistent enough to be a good salesperson. I mean, do colleges teach sales? Do they teach how to manage a little bit of your own money once you start making it? Or is it still, I don't want to say worthless, but a lot of information that doesn't necessarily give, give life advantages. Yeah, I think um, when families are looking at colleges, one of the things to really watch for is um, what is the program geared at? Um, as mentioned earlier, there are different schools teach different ways, right? Their philosophies are different. And so there are colleges, for instance, that are more experiential learning where the student is more hands-on. Um, and so consequently, their degree programs reflect that. Um, there are uh, programs that are based in theory, and they're based in theory because the intent of the program is to have the student go on and get a master's so that they can actually work in that degree area. Um, and so I think families just need to focus on that. Um, what I would say is that um, colleges, uh, we were having a discussion with one of our students last night who was trying to decide between two business schools. Um, and what she wants to do basically is start her own business. But one of the things that a business program brings to the table is an understanding as an 18 year old, what is the likelihood that she understands how corporations work, right? Even if she wants to start her own business, what are the parts and pieces that you need to be successful? So um, one of the things that we were talking about last night is the fact that a lot of the business programs um, put people in a project sense, because guess what? When you go off and you work at XYZ company, most of the stuff that you're gonna do is project-based. You're gonna have to work with other people. And so there's no question that colleges develop skills beyond just the actual skill set, right? And allowing students to go off and fall down and scrape their knee outside of the eyeballs of their parents is something that kids learn during that college time frame. Does every single student need to do that? No, I think um, the pandemic is certainly providing an opportunity for colleges to do uh, a little bit of um, self-reflection and figure out how they are gonna meet the needs of um, students who are graduating from high school today. Right, right. So let's talk about that darn pandemic. So we are recording, we're in 2021. Last year, colleges, I guess, shut down almost overnight and went to mostly virtual. And I have some college professor buddies that say, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't intended that way, but everything's been open book this year. and. Uh, what do you think about the level of education kids have gotten? And, um, you know, just about this whole virtual learning thing that's gone on, is it going to continue as far as what, even once the COVID part of it is gone, do you think more students and more colleges will offer a more virtual platform? Yeah, I think uh, there's no question, right? There is, um, uh, they're building the spine for that, right? And uh, part of the challenge when you um, fly the plane as you build it, which is an analogy that has gotten overused, but um, is that you're, you're kind of winging it, right? Uh, there's not structure to it. But um, I would also say that um, the college industry by and large has suffered much from, um, you know, I'm, I'm the Titanic, right? I just, uh, I'm a big ship 
uh, I'm going to do this because I've always done it this way. Uh, and this is the way we do it. <laughs> and um, there hasn't been a lot of um, fresh evolution of, of that world. And what has happened, um, you know, where, you know, like the I don't know, University of Phoenixes are concerned, right, where they have gone online, um, companies don't recognize as that uh, as the degree program that it is. And so there has to be, colleges don't sit on an island, right? There, there's an entire kind of evaluation of um, high school to college to work that just needs to be revamped, I think. It, there, it needs some fresh air blown into it. And, and um, uh, for good or for bad, the pandemic did some of that blowing. And so, um, I think that there's no question. Um, it's spurring innovation in the uh, teaching world. There's uh, virtual reality, for instance, um, companies that are building virtual labs where you could be working in labs, but from your house. And think about the cost savings to some students. Um, not every kid who goes off to college needs to live in the dorms, right? To mm -hmm. live their lives. And so I think that's how we traditionally think about school. Um, but there's cost to that dorm life. And so um, by opening the doors, uh, one of the things the colleges found out is, hey, guess what? The people who are paying our bills don't love um, the pricing model we have set up and our lack of flexibility in the um, <clears throat> in this pandemic. Right. And so um, they have traditionally kind of just opened the doors so far to let in so many students, right? Who can afford to take on um, the pricing and the debt. Um, and I think what's happening now um, through the pandemic is the colleges now have to rethink that. Who all are we gonna open our doors to? And then what does that mean from a learning experience? Yeah, no question. So speaking of learning questions, let's say, a, a, a high school junior or senior says, you know what, and I don't want to pick on art, but I'm really passionate about art, or I'm really passionate about ancient Italian literature, or something that the market probably doesn't put a, a large value on that more than likely won't provide a great income. What do you tell that kid? Because there's a lot of cool things out there that, that you might enjoy learning about, but they may not provide an income later on. Yeah, so uh, you're talking to somebody who uh, has a dance major graduating in a month. Uh, okay. And, <laughs> and um, her older sister started down the musical theater path. And interestingly, those two um, took completely different paths, but in our current moment are looking at each other and wishing they had taken the other person's path. So um, one of my kids graduated ultimately as a finance major. She works in, um, in consulting. Uh, she does a great job and she uh, works really hard. Yeah, she, logical kind of a traditional path. Yep. She very much misses that art side of it, right? Um, my youngest daughter, on the other hand, graduating in the middle of a pandemic as a dance major is looking around going, geez, I wish I would have double majored in something else, right? And had something alongside. So one of the things that... Um, I always encourage kids who have that passion around those areas. One, you should not presume. My degree is in exercise physiology. I am currently not working in exercise physiology. I worked in that role for about two years and then decided I didn't love it anymore. Um, and my path uh, left, or I left that path. Um, and so I, I think um, 
one, people should not presume the number three top earning degree philosophy. So uh, really? I don't, <laughs> I don't think. Now what jobs that, do you do with that to earn that much money? Or you is know, it anything you want, right? Wow. Cause that's the thing. Um, people's success is not dependent on their degree program. People's success is dependent on their personalities and what they mm -hmm. decide they want to do with their lives. And so um, the fact that you have a four-year degree um, opens doors for you that would not have been there otherwise from companies that still consider that um, top of the line, right? Um, I also think um, that there are tons of colleges that make it relatively easy to double major. So why couldn't you do both? Why could you yeah. not grab that art history major that you want and marry that with something else? Yeah. No, I love it. That's a, that's a great, great suggestion. So <clears throat> tell me a little bit about your company and at what age maybe you would ideally start working with a family and just kind of the, the process of how you help families and students with scholarships, with choosing majors, with choosing schools and everything else that you do, because this is really interesting. And it's a huge decision uh, for families. And most families have several teenagers when they do. So it's a, a double or triple decision. Yeah, for sure. So uh, College Inside Track has been uh, helping families navigate the college search application and acceptance process for 15 years. Our goal is to work with the student uh, and the family, but um, the goal is ultimately to arm the student with the ways to evaluate schools so that they have a list of schools they're going to apply to that fit them academically, socially, and financially, those three pillars. So one of the things we start with uh, beyond trying to understand what the student wants is what's the game plan for paying for school? Because as we build the college list, we want it built so that um, the schools the student gets accepted to are ones that the family can afford, right? That they've planned for. And there are no like <gasps> moments, right? When the um, senior financial packages show up uh, in spring of senior year. And so um, the process includes working with one of the consultants on the team who gets to know the student and help them understand which of the 3,200 schools in the US might actually um, serve them best as a student. And so really arming kids with the ways to um, thumbs up a school or thumbs down, right? How do you evaluate a school? What questions should you be asking? Um, things like, uh, what is the output? Like what happens when people leave this program? Where do they go? What do they do? Mm -hmm. um, so super practical pieces. We also give them guidance around things like test taking, um, high school course selection, um, helping them creatively think about um, volunteering opportunities um, or how to take the things that they do and really showcase it on their application. So beyond building the list, we also work with the students independently around their essays. What should you be writing about? What are college admissions groups looking for? Um, uh, same in the application process, right? How do you take the things that you have done and really showcased yourself? Well, we help the family with pacing to make sure they get done on time um, through application season. We uh, support their financial forms that they'll have to fill out, FAFSA or CSS profile or other forms that the colleges ask for. And then ultimately help the student uh, with any decision support that they need 
um, as they round into this time frame as a senior and start to uh, finalize the thoughts around which school should I choose. So um, uh, it's a long process. We prefer to start sometime during sophomore or junior year. Wow. Okay. But it's such a huge decision. And I'm in every area of life, I'm just such a big proponent of working with someone who knows what they're doing. Because let's face it, I graduated college in 96. I don't know that there's anything the same about college now than when I went through it. So, you know, having some help by, by an expert is, is, is good. And that's why I believe, you know, most of us should have a financial advisor. We should have an attorney. We should have an accountant. We should have a bookkeeper. We should have a business coach. We should have, uh, you know, a nutrition coach, uh, a personal trainer for any area where we're looking for good results, some sort of a co a coach or a consultant, while it will always come with a price, it could come with a, a great payoff as well. And we're not going to talk about fees, but your company is not a nonprofit. You you charge a fee, um, but uh, you wouldn't be in business if, um, if, if your entire company was not delivering more value than what the fees amount to. So um, that's just the way life works. And I think uh, the, the, the juniors and seniors and sophomores of the world need to be looking towards people like you to help guide these, uh, guide these decisions. So. Yeah, I appreciate that thought process um, for sure. And, um, you know, we, we do offer a free consultation for any family who wants. And to how would, how would somebody get a free consultation with you? Yeah. So uh, if they just go out to the website at college inside track, Dot com. Um, right on the homepage, there's a free advice button. When you click on that, it'll take you out and you can see my calendar. Um, and is, so this is like a Zoom consultation, not, yep. it's not limited ge geographically. Nope, not at all. Okay. Um, we actually work with families, not only all over the country, but all over the world. So um, uh, anybody who has a sophomore or junior in high school that wants to understand how would we as a family do a more strategic college search, uh, happy to sit down and chat college with them. Okay. Well, let's close it out. Let's give one tip, put you on the spot. Even if someone did not work with you or your company or a company like yours, Let's give you one of the biggest tips for maybe someone coming into their senior year on getting scholarships or choosing that final school decision or anything college related for someone who, um, well, let's say they're in the second half of their junior year right now. So another half a junior and then they will be a senior and then they got to make a decision and do something and pay for it. Yeah, so uh, my number one tip would be uh, evaluate your school at a deeper level. Uh, right? Academic fit, social fit, but also financial fit for your family. And then ask good questions. You know, I was talking to somebody one time and <clears throat> I forget the analogy they use, but it used to be that like the type of car you drove was your status symbol. And unfortunately, many people would go into debt to buy a car that was more expensive than they should have for their situation. Now it's what school your kid goes to is the status symbol because, you know, oh, I can afford this school. And in many cases, because you can barely afford it doesn't mean that you should afford it. So I, I think that's great advice is, is thinking about the school on all the levels. But of course, cost is a huge level that needs to be considered. And there's no sense in borrowing tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars for a nameplate on a school as opposed to a different school that may have been, you know, just not as well known or, or as, um, 
you know, sexy uh, as far as the name goes. So, well, that's great information. Great information. So one more time, let's have your website. Uh, it is collegeinsidetrack.com. Perfect. Well, we enjoyed your expertise. This is very timely for me because I have a 17-year-old and I actually have twin 13-year-olds. They're going <laughs> to high school next year. So we don't have any financial issues to worry about in our house. We'll just have unlimited money for the next, uh, what, eight <laughs> years, right? So yeah, you must have a money tree, huh? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. We'll, we'll just like the government. We'll just print some more. No, no problem. So, well, great. Well, Cozy, we appreciate your time and uh, we look forward to speaking with you next time. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, David. The information contained herein, including but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.